Are you familiar with the story of Moneyball? A man uses statistics and logic to win several baseball games. It's my favorite film. The statistical analysis. It's so beautiful. It's the most fun day of the year. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Right Gringos. This is Season 5, Episode 9. Um, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Pat Staley. Little bit of Brooklyn to kick things off. Brooklyn Nine Nine back on the air, and uh, I don't know. Is there is there a happier non LFC moment of this week than <laughs> than that show returning to the air after almost being canceled? How do you feel about the Brooklyn Nine Nine comparison to the LFC front line? Did you see that meme going around? Ooh, I I, I didn't. That meme going around. So it was the recent. Um, uh, the the actress, the badass. Oh, uh, yeah, Rosa's. Yeah, Rosa. Yeah, Rosa, not Boyle. Uh, Terry, <laughs> and um, oh, uh, the the comedian, the guest star, the undercover agent. <laughs> oh, Jason Manzukis as Mo Salah. <laughs> <laughs> as Mo Salah, uh, Rosa as Bobby Firmino. Right, which. They're two for two, but then Mane was Terry. Yeah, and then I was like, that's a bit nah, of a stretch. No, nah, it's just kind of racist. Yeah, that's it a- went, you just stop at two. <laughs> just stop at two. Right. Yeah, two was enough. Um, no, that's what <laughs> that actually works extremely well for Mo and Bobby, though. Um, so, uh, so we start we start off this week with with a little bit of Brooklyn, but um, the story this week is all about. Getting a, a win at a tough in a tough away ground, um, but as we as we kick things off, um, as we always do, it's it's time for pick your poison. And uh, after we're recording this, just after full time of uh, City over Wolves, and and how how are you uh, <laughs> how are you we treating yourself treating yourself post uh, post match? So I have a Ray, and I say it like that because there's two R's, which it's really good. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like they're pressuring me into trying to roll my R's, which I can't do. (laughs) It is a London-style beer. Um, Quite delicious, though. And then I've got uh, Bohemia. You know the go-to pilsner as the as the backup, but right. uh, yeah, pretty pretty tasty. I don't is London style a thing? I I was gonna ask. I don't I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know. I've got my fancy like ceramic mug, and I can't tell the coloration in here. <laughs> but I I'd venture to say it's close somewhere between a dark and an amber. Fair enough. Yeah, I would I would think somewhere in the. Uh... In that kind of multi realm, yeah, like you might be able to drink it warm, right? Or room temp, yeah. (laughs) That's the London style, right? (laughs) Can you drink it room temperature, right? London style, yeah. (laughs) What do you have over there? Well, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, true to form. I'm, I'm rocking two IPAs. Um, I've got the uh, Luponic Distortion Number Eleven, which is the uh, Firestone Walker um, from California. I don't know if you've heard of Firestone Walker Brewing. It's I, it's I have. yeah. So um, 
their uh, one of their IPAs, but they have a whole series. It's the eleventh one. I didn't try. I I think I had ten, not not all ten. I had number ten before. I've never, yeah, one through nine. I missed though. I think, um, <laughs> and uh, and then I've got a slightly more local um, Marble Brewings IPA, just their flagship IPA, um, and that's from Albuquerque. So rocking that Ooh. one. Um, extremely good brewery, and uh, they've they've made their way down into the El Paso market, and I'm very pleased with it because they have a few beers that are pretty killer. Shout out to the uh, is it the 505 Reds? Do I have that right? I believe so. The Albuquerque area code, and I'm glad you mentioned Albuquerque <laughs> because it prompted. I'm not sure if you caught exactly what happened in the WhatsApp message. I believe I sent to you Friday night. Okay. Oh, which, I did. I did. I did see. <laughs> which is in line with poison because <laughs> Craft and Social, the downtown spot that we have frequented, yeah, a number of times before, both separately and together, and they have Jenga. Yes, at Craft and Social, right? So as you do with Jenga in a bar, you write like disgusting, filthy things on it, and sometimes you write your phone number. Sometimes. So Friday night. You know, nice little lazy night, Netflix and and, and a few drinks. Yep. Of course, Saturday night. I can't remember. But anyway, this weekend, and Allie says she gets a message that just says, hey, hot stuff. And I'm like, you know, as as a typical guy, I'm like, what goon is trying to weasel their way back in? (laughs) Um, And then shortly thereafter, I received a message that just said, hey, Poppy, with a, a heart face blown emoji and I responded with que tal trying to throw them off the scent a little bit right. they responded gg or he he I guess um, and then it died down <laughs> so what we got a picture of two women holding up these Jenga pieces with <laughs> Ali and I's phone numbers on it um, because we looked it up and they had the 575 area code right. which I believe is also New Mexico yeah so, New Mexico area codes, Jenga, beer, and dirty text messages to strangers. Yeah. That's how you kick off the Two Red Gringos episode. Yeah, that, that made me laugh a lot. Um, in particular, the, the selfie followed by, we at Craft and Social, your ass out your number on the Jenga. Did you, can you interpret that? Because I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I don't know if they meant we at Craft and Social, you ass, like comma, you ass, oh, yeah. as if they're calling you an ass, um, Maybe. got your number off the Jenga, I think is what yes. they were shooting for. Yes. But yeah, we at Craft and Social, your ass out, your number on the Jenga. So maybe she's saying that you're, you know, your ass is out, like you're, you're embarrassed uh, because your number is on, is on the Jenga pieces. We will post this to <laughs> we will we will cut the phone number out and we will yeah, post yeah. this to Twitter to let the good people <laughs> see what we're talking about. <laughs> see what we're talking about. Maybe provide some interpretation. Yeah. Um so speaking of interpretation, that's basically why we're here. We're here to interpret what went down uh at Brighton over the weekend, uh between Liverpool and Brighton. Liverpool obviously running out one nil winners, uh Mo Salah scoring the penalty that gave Liverpool all three points um, down south. So 
with a win like this, it's it it's been it's a little strange. We we aren't used to to wins like this as Liverpool fans. Uh, we're still getting used to one nils. Uh, so, what are your general impressions coming away from this match? Because it is something that we're just not that used to seeing. First off, that was a great transition. Um, second, <laughs> second, that's why I'm here. You know, yeah, that's. <laughs> That's uh, not trying to steal your thunder because I think we both had this sentiment after the game and I posted on Twitter saying like this is a it's a new feeling for us because this year and in large part to both Allison and Van Dyke has gotten us to the point where we're expecting this. Right. And when it happens, it's not even like a sigh of relief or like nervousness elevated. I mean, it is to a little bit. But the overall feeling is like, okay, that's the job done. Like that's our expectation going into this is that we'll get something out of it, even if it's nil-nil at halftime and maybe we weren't creating the best chances. So that was my feeling after the game was like not even relief, not happiness, just, all right, we got on with it. What, you know, who's next? And that's rare for us, but I also think that's a trait of maybe like (laughs) the money sides now like city chelsea even united like once you've experienced success and granted ours has been like on a seasonal game by game scale you just expect it right and so there wasn't this elation it was just all right now it's now it's on the palace whoever else we have coming up next i think i think the expectation is is an interesting side of it because as as mo salah was being uh was being brought down for the pen um to take the lead. I was being delivered a chicken sandwich at uh, our new, our new spot in El Paso for the El Paso Reds, the district Ooh. pub and kitchen. Ooh. Um, this was a fine, high quality chicken sandwich. I like, <laughs> you know, we take our chicken very serious. Chicken sandwich first <laughs> and not the match analysis. Cause that, yeah. that's really where our allegiance lies. <laughs> so I say that because as he was brought down, I, one, didn't question the penalty at all. Um, It was like, yeah, that's obviously a pen. Um, And then I just wasn't even stressed out while he was taking it. You know, it was, it it was just, this is, this is a match where we've started to assert our dominance. I think, I think first half, uh, we were a little slow, maybe a little, like we weren't as incisive as we normally are, but we came out the second half absolutely all over Brighton, right? And uh, and so when the penalty was awarded, it just didn't shock me at all. And I think that's that like leads into your expectation where I just knew that we were getting something from the match. There was no there was no doubt in my mind that we were coming away with the win, Um, despite the fact that, you know, in in the past and and we mentioned it at the bar, too, was just in the past it it was never like that. You know, if we didn't score in the last in the first 20 minutes maybe the last about three seasons we're like, well, I guess we're just not scoring today. You know, that's what, <laughs> yeah. um, and this team, uh, it, it's happened against Burnley. It's happened against, you know, now Brighton, even against United, uh, just that expectation of it's fine. It, you know, yeah, it's, it's equal now, but it's not going to be by the, by the final whistle. They won't be able to, def- to defend like this, the entire game. We're going to put one of these chances away and we're going to come away with it. And so, that expectation is just so it's so strange how I think how comfortable we've become with that um, yeah. as fans in such a short amount of time. 
It's true. I mean, I, I wanted to give a little bit of credit to Brighton. I thought we had a, a pretty strong start, but I don't know. I feel like their their plan of attack was kind of unique. Like, I haven't seen Trent and Robertson be pressured at that area of the pitch, right, where they gave in a little bit. Um, but it wasn't even their fullbacks. It was some of their wider attacking players just really whenever the second, like, Trent Robertson would pick up the ball, they would have their kind of wider attacking players on them. Um, and that's where we generate a lot of our offense from, too. So it was, like, that was pretty noticeable for me. It was, like, something that I haven't seen before from opposition to target or disrupt our offense by just kind of man-marking Trent Robertson with the forwards, too. So credit to them and, you know... They were, they were a tough side to break down, but I did feel that, especially maybe the first 30 minutes, like the chances were there. You know, we got into some dangerous positions. It, you know, it stalled a little bit, but then, you know, coming out in the second half, seeing Salah kind of take the game on and, and maybe position themselves differently, it was, it was yeah, it, it was coming the whole whole way. But credit credit to Brighton and their approach. I think they did pretty well. And that and that's the other the other part of this. I think I think Chris Hutton in in particular deserves a lot of credit for the way that he had Brighton playing, um, especially especially first half, um, because it did feel like we were under pressure a, a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we do come away with another clean sheet. Obviously, uh, even with what some would call a makeshift defense, uh, Fabinho employed at center back due to injuries to <laughs> to Matip and. Uh, well, Lovren now, and uh, <laughs> as well as well as uh, you know, basically anyone. You know, Gomez is still still out uh, after after his yeah, injury man. against Burnley. So, um, so Fabinho at center back, and and this makeshift makeshift defense, quote unquote, uh, still a clean sheet, and now becoming again the the norm uh, where we just expect not to concede goals, uh, no matter who's back there, really. Oh, yeah. And credit to what I love. He didn't – we have so many villains on Twitter this week. We didn't even get to the uh, – one of these phony Liverpool fans that, you know, posted like, you know, Fabinho clearly targeted, mate, like lost every challenge. And then <laughs> I think it was Babu or somebody else. The immediate response was like five out of five aerial duels, tackles, everything. Right. Um, but credit to – you can see that develop. Like the, the trend – uh, and whether it's Lover and Mata, whoever's in there, I mean, I, we can't even talk about Van Dyke because it's just redundant at this point because <laughs> we've already said everything. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's clear that that's targeted. And Fabinho, Fabinho did well, right? I think like, but the quicker we can get him back to the midfield, the better. But I, again, I'm I'm still impressed with Trent because he's he's clearly more of like the attacking threat in terms of our. Not clearly, but he his that's his emphasis, right? And City, every side is kind of going after him and targeting him along with that center back. So especially towards the end of the game, I think he had maybe three pretty solid clearances or even just the deflection uh, to stop a Brighton chance too. So I wanted to give a shout out to, to Alexander Arnold just for kind of weathering that, right? Because out of our, if Gomez is healthy and fit, it's not... You know, it's not putting Trent down to say that he's, in terms of defensive attributes, he's probably our worst defender. 
right? But he makes up for it in attack. But so I think given that, and given that he's constantly under attack from his side, I think he's holding up really well, especially given <laughs> still still his age and experience level too. Yeah, I think it it's really interesting um, because, like you said, that deflection on that on that cross, that just little intervention that that Trent gets in, yeah. basically saves a, a really big chance. Not, I'm not saying it's an absolute goal because we still have Allison uh, back there, <laughs> um, but a really really big chance for Brighton is, is stopped by that that intervention. So mm-hmm. um, the tracking back, obviously, he. It's it's something I feel he's working on, but when we talk about his attributes, we know that he's that he's much better going forward than than in defense. We know, you know, especially us, <laughs> we hold that you know even Nathaniel Klein, like defensively, has always been the better right back. Yeah. Um, but it's always been Trent's you know attacking attributes that got him in the team, um, and especially for a game like this, we'd expect you know Trent to start. I think. Um, you know, even if anyone else is healthy in a game against Brighton, you're going to play your more, your more attacking, um, personnel. But with all of that said, with a, you know, a central midfielder playing center back and, and Trent at right back, um, where they may have targeted, targeted us, uh, down that side, the defense still allows zero shots on target (laughs) for 90 minutes. Um, so do you think that it it comes down to, at this point, it's just a system that a way that Liverpool plays or are the personnel just that good that we can completely shut a team out for 90 minutes um, from even having a, even testing Allison? I think it's both. It's both because I think Klopp's system overall, and we can talk about maybe it's a little bit more reserved than it was last year when it was just high flying. So I think there just is that that structural change in place. But and, and and you can't kind of have one without the other, right? Positional people will help that structural approach, and the structural approach will help the the position players that you have. But with Van Dyke and Allison in place, like the same structure, right? Towards the end of the match, Brighton kind of picked up a little bit. It you know, it's inevitable in football that the side that's down a goal is going to try to pick up and the other side's going to sit back and try to counterattack. We had that happen all the time and we would just bleed goals every single time. But now we do have, you know, that <laughs> even just the image of Robertson, Van Dyke, and Allison, I was like, we could look at this years down the road and say that that trio with, with Trent obviously included could be one of the best defensive back lines in Premier League history, right? Just given the amount of goals, what we're at 10, and I think the record's 15. So we're probably not going to hit the record, but one of the best teams, I think, or one of the best defensive units, I think you could say that. So what Robertson has shaped into, Trent's ability to step up, but again, Van Dyke, because you have nullified an area of the pitch where I think I said my favorite Van Dyke stat was with Pascal Gross was going like about to receive the ball, looks up, sees Van Dyke, and literally just lets the ball roll out of bounds. Because <laughs> zero people <laughs> in a calendar year have dribbled past him. So what what he brings, and I think Allison's assuredness too, and 
even and Alan will like this, just the butt clenching nature of our offsides trap on free kicks and, and ball delivery. Yeah. <laughs> it it is. It's it's the unit that we have back there. And to have somebody like Van Dyke who can be like a hippie a character in their leadership ability, even without the armband, like that's that's a difference maker. And those people will make us a better defensive side overall. Um and and now we have that flexibility to have that attacking unit do what it does while while being rest assured that the defense is going to take care of everything else. Right. Speaking of Van Dyke, because we talk about his influence on each match, obviously, but the the narrative going around is that anyone who plays center back next to Van to Virgil Van Dyke is automatically better at playing center back because we've seen Gomez step in, we've seen seen Lovren. Um, you know, be a, a a different player next to next to Verge. I think the one thing that we kind of overlook um, is the fact that Verge is also in training. You know, more than he's playing the matches. So, like, I think his influence over the squad and uh, particular particularly the defense is more is probably more emphatic in training than it is, you know, match to match. Like, we see him, obviously, on TV. We see him marshalling the defense, as they yeah. say, and, like, organizing and, and all that stuff. We see him yelling, uh, as I think Sam Sam McGuire said, you know, yelling to his... Uh, yelling for a cab. Yeah, when his... <laughs> when you're... <laughs> when, you're uh, when your girlfriend is still saying goodbye and the taxi's <laughs> been waiting for 10 minutes. Um, but... I think his influence goes beyond that because there's a lot of there's a lot of fear about you know if and when Van Dyke is out of a match you know what our defense looks like, and I'm not actually that worried about it because I think his influence is actually probably greater you know day to day in training than it is you know match to match. Obviously, he's an incredible defender. He does really well to lead that to lead that back line. Yeah. Um, but I really do think, you know, if we put people back there, I think his influence in the team in general is going to be is going to be helpful, uh, even when even when his absence is felt like in this, uh, you know, upcoming Champions League tie where he's suspended for the for the first match. Yeah, I feel like you're just trying to bait me into saying something about like how we would be able to observe practice and watch like what happens in practice with like, <laughs> I don't know, a spy or a drone yeah. <laughs> or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not going to fall for it. Yeah. Marcelo Bielsa, <laughs> Marcelo Bielsa tactics only. Um, everybody's reaction to that was just like, eh, all yeah. right. <laughs> and then he resigned. Like, no, he, he was, didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Oh, that he was did. actually, okay. yeah. So, so CNN had a typo. They said, they said left his club, and they left out the word embarrassed. Left his club embarrassed. All bullshit on CNN. Now. Left like, his club. Twitter is not safe. <laughs> it's like, not. I trust. I trust our our two Reg Ringos Hall of Famers mm-hmm. more than any type of major pundit or news outlet. True. Like nobody you can't trust anybody anymore we'll get sure. to that a little bit later fact on. fact based accounts only fact based <laughs> accounts mate um, so <laughs> we had right. we had a looking at so we had to to up our game statistically and to to remain on that money ball level um we had to you had to spring um for some 
for some subscription uh, type types uh, stat statistical analysis. Um, we've talked about this in the past. We have eleven Tegan eleven now in cahoots with or working with uh, between the posts, right? Yeah, like quality. So here's what happened. They went behind, uh, whatever you want to call it, like a paywall, a paywall or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like their, sure. their premium membership went away. Right. And I was really upset at first. But then I was like, you know, I lean – as people that we try to produce, like our own kind of like pod content, mm-hmm. like we lean heavily on a lot of different sources and that was yeah. one. So, you know, the amount that we've used them for our own enjoyment and for sharing – I'll cough up like the 20 euros for right. for a calendar year for access too. So yeah, we're we, that that took a hit on the two Ray Gringos budget. Yeah. <laughs> which has had a, a total allotment of zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're spending over. Um but the interesting thing when you look at when you look at Liverpool's past maps um in particular, because he eleven Tegan eleven, for those who don't know. He he primarily works in expected goals and and these pass maps that show you know how teams actually look in possession, um, and the the crazy thing about about Liverpool is there's been a lot of talk about you know whether we play a four two three one or a four three three, but in possession when you look at the pass map we genuinely play a two four four. Um, against teams that are, you know, sitting back and we're trying to break down with, you know, the two center backs and then Robertson, the two, two midfielders and Trent across, across the four. And then, you know, the four attackers, uh, uh, all kind of acting centrally where the only wide players are really the fullbacks. Um, so in this, in this particular instance, we have, a, a Henderson Vinaldum. Don't say it. No, actually, no, we can't say it. We can't say it. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. A Henderson Genie Vinaldum double pivot, as they say. <laughs> as feels, they say, because it feels, we really do. It feels wrong to, to say it. Um, but Henderson Vinaldum playing in a midfield, too. Um, and this pairing in particular, I feel like, is one that in the past, if looked at as a pair, no one would pick. No. From I'm saying from yeah, you know, from LFC Twitter, no one would pick this this pair. But it worked fairly well uh against Brighton. Well, because it is <laughs> I don't I don't even want to go out. No, actually this was. This was a good example of a double pivot because there was typically like a clear it it, it would shift in Henderson would actually get forward or Wijnaldum would get forward. And I think Henderson still has that more hesitancy to, even though I think like if you had to pick, like we put Wijnaldum in that six and we have Henderson bombing forward. Like that that's just his better role, but he, he withdraws more often. But it was that balance where it's not like an out and out. Like if you have uh, Keita in there, Nabby's the one that's going to go forward. That's not double pivot. It's just – Balance-wise, it might be a four-two-three-one, but one person's always going to remain. One person's always going to bomb forward. So, but what I saw and what I liked about it too is that if you added Milner into this, right, 
or another kind of static midfielder like like Henderson Wijnaldum can be, <laughs> you get a completely different match, right? right? We get typically outplayed, as we've seen so far this year. But add in Shakiri, or maybe if Navi would have played, it, it could have been the same. But that creates this dynamism in that that we just haven't had before. And that leaves us to have maybe two people more withdrawn to, to give a little bit more defensive certainty, even though we didn't really need it for this match. I'm starting to think against the heavy hitters, this is kind of the way to go. Not necessarily the personnel, but but the 4-2-3-1 or the 2-4-4 <laughs> structure as it turns out to be. Yeah. Um, but I was interested that that midfield, if we want to call it a midfield three, is undefeated since it's lined up. I think it was, what was it, uh, base tuned to red. Yeah. Yeah, and Andrew Beasley. We haven't yeah. mentioned Andrew that much on the pod, but he's definitely up there approaching like Hall of Fame status. He's he's yeah, he's up there. Yeah, he's up there. And I think he also has um, a bit of uh, profanity laced throughout his tweets. Maybe right. I'm thinking of somebody else, but I think that's him. So that always helps. Well, si- Simon is the you know he's the king of the of the profanity laced. Yeah, rant. each person has to have their thing. Yeah, but no, what is it? Um, I, I think so. I saw a longer. A longer, maybe in other competitions, but at least so far this season, four games, scoring 11, conceding none. Yeah. So maybe that's the opposition, but it it works because you do have that dynamic player in there that's going to be more direct, that will take players on. With that being said, I think we needed a little bit more of it as the first half kind of went on until we got the, the solid penalty too, where it looked like you could sacrifice Hendo or Ronaldo to bring on Abby to push Fabinho up, somebody that'll be more direct. But right. no, it, they continue to roll on. I think uh, I think it is interesting because I do think this was a match where you could have started in that mid. You know, if you call it a if you call it a two of of Hendo and Vinaldum, I genuinely think you could have started Nabi uh, alongside Genie and been oh yeah and and been totally fine. Because they weren't threatened that much possession-wise through the midfield. It was all like long balls over the top, playing down the wings, pressure when we're in possession. So Keita would have, I think, would have added a little bit more, you know, free. He would have had a little bit more license going forward than Hendo does. But Hendo is a pretty pretty decent save away from scoring a diving header in the in about like the fifth minute. Um <laughs> So it and that was uh it it was a little too reminiscent of the Lalana header a few weeks ago um where I I don't want to associate them too much because one is obviously the, the club captain and one should probably you know not play for the team again but um <laughs> uh but yeah we were we were a very fine margin away from a, a Hendo goal it, you know pretty early on um which oh, yeah. completely changes the whole conversation uh we're still waiting for for a Hendo goal he he had a couple of Hendo crosses though in this match kind of got involved but maybe not yeah. maybe not to the extent that we would have liked to see I still don't like a lot of our and again I think I think we got stagnated a little bit because one Brighton was just First 20 minutes, I thought, like, okay, maybe they're home. You know, they've got a little bit of attacking mindset to try to hit us. But then they just kind of got solidified and, like, a, you know, four at the back, five midfielders protecting them. Uh, but no, pressuring the fullbacks just kind of forced 
maybe Henderson or Wijnaldum to either recycle possession or maybe get into positions that weren't that dangerous. Because, yeah, Hendo had a couple opportunities, but I, I feel like he's just settling for these. He and Milner do this a lot, just like the lazy loft, lofted crosses like that aren't at a good angle. They're not really beating anybody in behind. So that's that's what we reverted back to a little bit. So I think you're right. You bring in Nabby there from the start. And we don't we don't sacrifice anything defensively, and plus you probably have, you know, double the expected chances against Brighton with him in. So speaking of creating chances, our our attack. Um, looking at the pass map too, and and we'll have to. I don't know. Can we use this now that we're like premium members? Uh, like, can we show this in our in our uh, on our links? Um, oh, I'm gonna steal it. Yeah. <laughs> I just but, dropped twenty euros. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very interesting the way that it that it shows up because it shows Firmino in a in a more traditional kind of ten, yeah. Um, on average, uh, Mane a little further forward, almost in a two with Sal, like almost as a, a second striker with Salah mm-hmm. um, up top, uh, with Shakiri kind of playing off to the right um, and a little bit deeper as we would expect. Um, but in this match, obviously, a lot of chances are created um, basically for all of our attackers. Shakiri has the glanced header that goes wide. Firmino has a couple of shots from distance in the second half. Um, the, the one I really thought, as he, as he lined it up, I really thought that it was going to be similar to the, uh, to the Stoke the Stoke goal where he just hits an absolute, you know, stonker in the, uh, <laughs> but um, Mane and Salah as well have their chances and, and, and pass them up. But are we to the point in this attack where we just assume that the attack is going to take enough chances to win? Um, and are we past this conversation of, you know, are we clicking or are we not clicking? Um, is that kind of a moot point now? I think so because I think we've resigned to see that it, it's more the balance and the style of play. Um, I'm still – I haven't wrapped my head around it yet. But just like Mane to me is one of the most noticeable players throughout the game because he's either going to do something that's incredible or he's going to have like crazy touches that that go wildly <laughs> in the wrong direction or something like that. <laughs> But for all of that, like I – anytime I see Mane, it's like – and I think it was Babu and, and Sam both really kind of got into positionally um, expected chances, goals, and assists. Uh, Mane just isn't as high as I thought he would. And I can't explain it at all because, again, he was dangerous this match. I think he created two or three chances. Uh, he got wide whenever Robertson maybe kind of got stalled um, in behind him, and I think that's why his – his position is kind of higher and, and maybe off further to the left than it typically is. But I don't know. Like when I saw like Mane's expected goals for this year, like seven, and maybe his expected assists are, I can't remember offhand, but like four or five. Right. And I was just expecting that because we, we think of Mane as like an incredible player, sometimes wasteful, like is he on, is he, is he not on? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what's kind of left me scratching scratching my head a little bit too. I think the way that we're balancing with this 4-2-3-1 and Salah out and out as a striker, 
I still don't know if we're getting the most out of it, but we're getting enough to be confident that that we're going to score score goals because we still have what we're behind City as the number two attack in the Premier League. So yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's taking into account, I think, the players that we have up there, the formation and positional changes that have happened, um, but also not expecting them to go out and drop five every single match because we needed to them <laughs> or we needed them to drop four or five goals a match to ever feel comfortable. Right. Now we're scraping by 1-2-0 and like, all right, let's get on with it. Yeah. I, I think Mane's is interesting because last season we saw his – he kind of adopted Coutinho's role, yeah. like very old role in, in that front three when we used to talk about it that way, um, where he played on the left but he would drift infield – and play as kind of an advanced playmaker, a wide playmaker. Um, And now I think he still does that where he's wide and then drifts infield, but now he's running into, because of the way that we're set up, he, he has Firmino in that, in that central kind of deeper position as a 10. Yeah. We've got Shakiri occupying space out on the right. So his impact as a playmaker that we saw last season, I think, is a little bit limited just because there's other people occupying those kind of areas. Um, and that could just be, you know, like the eye test or whatever, the way that we set up. But Mane's most dangerous play has always been this season has been when he gets in behind um, and has always whereas in the past you might see him on the yeah. edge of the area or playing a, a, a scything pass um, across field. And he did have uh, one or two in this match where he played, I think, Alexander-Arnold um, in, you know, from the left down the yeah. right wing. Um, and he still has that ability. But I think he doesn't have quite the license to do it that he used to have where uh, where he was he was expected to be that, that advanced playmaker. And now, he, now he's just part of a playmaking machine. Yeah. It is. It's a little bit more I don't know if it's more balanced because I think we're we're leaning on Salah pretty heavily. But we're just I don't maybe I think that kind of clarifies it. Like if we're looking at expected goals and assists and we're just not seeing as much, you're right, he's not as central of of a figure. And we've really talked about how this formational change has impacted like Firmino and Salah. But I haven't seen anything about Mane, you know, and, I, and, and that's something that I kind of want to keep an eye on now to see, I don't know, like kind of maybe like total wise in terms of possessions that he has, passes, just like total emphasis on, on the play. Right. How it relates to maybe last year too. So, no, it, it, it's something for the, uh, the gringos to consider. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a little interesting. But in the end um, – it is a, a foul on Mo Salah in the area, which which gives Liverpool the chance to Are take sure? the lead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's interesting? What's interesting about this is is uh, a couple of things. But um, the first is that in commentary during the match, no no one questioned of the like maybe two or three feeds that I've seen. No commentator questioned that it was a foul on Salah by Pascal Gross in, in Hutter, uh, wow, Huddersfield, in, uh, <laughs> in Cardiff's area. Sorry, they all kind of blurred. I said Cardiff. 
even after that, I said it's Brighton. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> even after I corrected, so in Brighton's area, he's he's brought down by Pascal Gross um, and ends up converting the penalty. In commentary, no one questions it. No one says no. a second word about it. It's a foul in the area. Yeah, why would they? He's been brought down. <laughs> And now, after the fact, people are bringing it back to other incidents, which they saw as potentially, you know, dives or whatever you want to call them. And now they're calling, you know, Mo Salah has a reputation for going down easily. (laughs) Which, I don't know, like, you can't, I don't know if we can argue against this. Because it's so blatantly false. Because you could have, I was laughing at De Gea's, five-minute save tribute today because United fans were going crazy about it. I'm like, (laughs) how would you be happy that you have like five minutes worth of highlights of defensive frailty Mm -hmm. in Tottenham Town? But that's something in and unto itself. But but that's what you could compile a clip of Salah just getting absolutely just beaten, tackled, kicked, and he does not go down. And we don't have any penalties. Like you, you, they're not calling them, right? Right. <laughs> like on us in general. So, but that's just that's just the narrative now. That uh, I, my my favorite phrase has been like doubling down. Like it, it's just blatant lies. Yeah. Like blatant, blatant, and that's that's the kind of climate that we're in now. Like I think that political climate has like invaded social media, <laughs> where. Not only do you not have to be right, but you could blatantly lie, and it's part of this uh, tactical approach now to <laughs> to water down the truth. And it works, <laughs> and it works because you've got just idiots out there that are that are saying this and fueling all like the fake city accounts to go out and, and be outraged. But right. but no, I thought we had the the narrative buster of a match between city and, and, and wolves today that I'm interested <laughs> to see everybody's take on that. But no, it's, it's mind numbing because it's so blatantly against Sala and blatantly ignoring everybody else and specifically English players yeah. to that, that are actually guilty of it. And, and that's what, so the, the bias here, um, is basically, you know, exclusively from English pundits against Mo Salah. Um, The Andy Grays, the the Richard... Right. (laughs) The Richard Richard Keys of the world. Um, These these guys, like, and I I talked to, you know, in text (laughs) before, you know, on WhatsApp before before we recorded, I, I said, like, I don't love having to say this, but it's reached a point where you just, you have to say that this is only happening to Mo because he is an Arab Egyptian playing in the premier league. Yeah. This does not happen to the Harry Canes, even Raheem Sterling, who the English media hates (laughs) does not get the reputation. He's black. (laughs) Right. They hate him because he's black, but they, they give him a they do they still give him a pass on this because he's english and and I, the bottom line is that the most obvious and uh you know for all of the talk about refereeing and whether there's a conspiracy or you know all of this nonsense the refereeing is ultimately going to be the more you know over the balance of time is going to be the more fair thing 
And the fact that Harry Kane has been booked multiple times this season <laughs> for diving tells you a lot more than Mo Salah being fouled in the penalty area. And obviously he's going to make the most of it because last season he did not make the most of it and wasn't yeah. given penalties. That's the. <laughs> it's that's, not even like <laughs> Sterling's, Sterling's penalty today was making the most of it. Yes. Like, Salo was, like, tackled and kicked in the leg as he was shooting. Like, the most blatant thing that you could probably have a penalty for, yeah. aside from maybe as far as his handball in the World Cup. Like, it, <laughs> like, you, like it's not even an, an exaggeration. Like, yeah. maybe some of the other ones, yes. But even the most recent one, where you have this just fucking idiot Richard Keys on like goes down a little easy for me, mate. Like, yeah, no, like just because you don't do your job and you do zero <laughs> prep work and you hate foreigners <laughs> doesn't mean that you can just kind of spout off at the mouth and, and blatantly make shit up. Yeah. And that, and that brings us straight into our, our Twitter villains. Um, and I say Twitter villains, but really these guys are just, I mean, specifically Richard Keys is just a villain. In, in yeah. general, a true villain. Yeah, a true villain. The, we we're don't not, often. We're not talking about like, oh, like banter, Twitter, <laughs> whatever. We're talking about the fact that he he's targeted Mo Salah now about three weeks in a row about going down too easily, um, and this this consistent just harping on this one player in particular, uh, you know, with all of the other incidents that have happened, you know, refereeing, controversial, you know, refereeing decisions, all that stuff. With all of that, if you always bring it back to Mo Salah and talking about how he's earning a reputation as a diver, despite the fact that he's earned three stonewall penalties and that's, <laughs> that all he's done is been fouled in the box, um, if that's earning him that reputation, that's that's you pushing a blatantly and I'm you know racist agenda um, against an Arab player in in what is a predominantly you know white and uh, you know English game, um, and that just consistently pushing that agenda is is purely um, you know for his own. I don't know, like his own purposes of whether it's well, <laughs> Brexit or whatever. You know? <laughs> so like, it's the Brexit strategy, right? Yeah, or right. even the political strategy. Like when we have probably men- mentioned Richard Keyes, this is probably the second time we've mentioned him, right? The first time for his – he was the one that did the, it was just Banta. Yeah. That was Richard Keyes, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have, this is probably the first time, specifically by name, we have mentioned Richard Keyes on our podcast. Yeah. So why would he stop? Like, why would he not double down again on being uh, this racist villain, right? Because one, there's an audience for it. Right. You're going to, you're going to hook those people the, the, the Brexiteers, and then you're also going to enrage people like us and normal level-headed people to start talking about it. Right. And so as a result of it, Richard Keyes is getting some spotlight. Now, whether <laughs> we talked about before, whether BN Sports wants to continue to employ this like horrific boys club 
that they have, like analyzing and commentating on these matches, is yeah. another thing altogether. But yeah. no, he is uh, a true villain, and and we don't we don't come across those often no. in our heroes and villains segment. Now he did take to Twitter um, and <laughs> to espouse yeah, one of the most no, ridiculous. <laughs> One of the most ridiculous stances I've ever seen on on football Twitter, and that is saying a lot. Like we're ta- we're including accounts, you know, that have just gone far over the top for attention. And Richard Keyes called <laughs> for Rafa Benitez to invest his own money into signing players if he loved Newcastle so much, quote unquote. <laughs> If he loves Newcastle so much, he should spend some of his own money to improve the squad. Um, when your owner is a is a you know near billionaire uh, <laughs> is uh, is a probably you know <laughs> well compensated but by no means wealthy in comparison to a guy yeah. like Mike Ash- Ashley. Um, <laughs> Is the expectation that the manager, uh, you know, invest his own funds to to improve the squad? Should Newcastle be relying on Rafa Benitez's bank account uh, from Who, now on? Let's say Rafa has has assumed a fair amount of of wealth and money over his managerial days. Now, sure. he probably doesn't come close to Mourinho. Who gets like ten million pound buyouts like every three years, right? Mourinho is the only one that could fund a semi-impactful transfer right. in today's strategy. <laughs> no, we're, Just you're not you're... asking the question. I'm not going to answer it because it's so stupid. It's so <laughs> it, it, like it's worse. That's what I'm like. When I saw that, I'm like, these accounts are worse than the Guardiola eras. The the other kind of fake accounts on there because at least we can sniff those out. Like these right. are like they're verified. But like they're verified. People, yeah, they're verified, right? <laughs> it's like you've got like blue Twitter, check now. Verification doesn't <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean everything, but no. I I saw it and I'm just like, there anything goes. Anything goes now. Like that is the worst take. The worst take I have ever heard yeah. that's football related. Yeah. So he goes <laughs> I can't say he gets worse, but from being out and out a racist, a bigot, whatever you want to call it. He's blatant yeah. with it, right? Yeah. The Brexiteers. To then, like, okay, <laughs> not okay, maybe you're a racist and you can provide some valuable punditry. <laughs> no, like, you're that and you're also giving, like, the worst take in world football that we've heard. Yeah. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. <laughs> but, like Rios is like, all right, Rio, like yeah. swung and missed on this one. Right. He was just like, I don't know. I, I I can't make sense of it. And I don't I don't ever I'm vowing now on the two reg Ringos to never mention Richard Keys by name. That was the yeah. last time. Yeah. And I'm hoping we can also remove the word banter, or it was just banter from our vocabulary because yeah. I'll associate him with it. So that's yep. that's my New Year's resolution going forward is to never mention him again. No, that and and that fits. Uh, I think I think that's a a good <laughs> a good resolution as well. I I, I think <laughs> I think we can stick by it. Um, we just 
both be in presenters. Him and uh, him and Andy Gray will will just blacklist from now on. Um, so his take was brought on by the fact that Rio Ferdinand mentioned um, in an, in his punditry for for Sky. Um, it was it was brought up that um, he felt that Newcastle supporters should be happy that Mike Ashley got them back into the Premier League and that they have Rafa Benitez as a manager. Um, and that's all they should strive for. There is <laughs> Newcastle can't go any higher than that. Um, and they should be, they should be pleased with that. Uh, no coincidence. I don't think that Rio Ferdinand's, uh, sportswear line or like his, uh, branded clothing is sold at sports direct, which is, uh, <laughs> Mike Ashley's <laughs> Mike Ashley's, uh, uh, like sporting goods, uh, store in the, in the UK. So, um, Rio targeted for his potential business implications and had to, uh, had to basically defend his, uh, <laughs> his distributor, um, of sportswear. <laughs> That's a next level. Did you come up with that or did you find, no, that's, you find that elsewhere? No, that's real. Um, in the clip, Rio actually says uh, people will think – like people think I defend Mike Ashley because of our business arrangement, but that's not why. <laughs> so then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is why. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping like I've got – our, our listeners can't see but I've got a hat on right now. Yeah. And I'm hoping he kind of like positioned his hat on as he was saying that. <laughs> like, this has nothing to do Yeah. his stupid five hat or whatever. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, of like Talladega Nights level <laughs> of, of just like shameless. Uh, I'm thinking Wayne's that yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, Pepsi <laughs> or Doritos and Pepsi. Doritos yeah. And Pepsi yeah. yeah, that's what this uh this window shield is dangerous, but I do love fig newtons. Like that's <laughs> like that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Um but yeah, just just caught in like a weird position, I feel like, uh and defending it to the hilt <laughs> despite the fact that the take is terrible is is really, really poor. But you know, I guess, you know, you gotta <laughs> Don't hate the player, hate the game. I guess in terms of in terms of Rio Ferdinand defending his his business partner. I hate them all. <laughs> player, game. So, <laughs> I actually, oh, I almost said his name. <laughs> so, uh, so on a far lighter note, uh, from all of that and criticism of clubs or players or whatever, uh, we had our our arch rival. Um, or we, I mean, we've declared him as our our arch rival. Yeah, he's Kyle, a nemesis. He's definitely yeah, a nemesis. Yeah, he is a nemesis. Uh, Kyle Martino was in Chicago this week for the U.S. like Association of Coaches. I'm not sure what the what the acronym or whatever is, yeah. um, but he was at trying a to my, trying to get my Chicago contacts to find some dirt on people, specifically <laughs> Alexi Lawless or Kyle Martino <laughs> if, if it's available. So. Uh, so Kyle was uh, interested, I guess, in in seeing the West Ham Arsenal match uh, this weekend in person with the Chicago Hammers, uh, and he showed up to AJ Hudson's, which is a, a you know primarily the Liverpool the LFC Chicago bar. 
Yeah. Um, it's expanded though. After Glow yeah. kind of restructured, closed, it, it, it broadened it. So I think City City may go there too. Uh, so it's a pretty broad overall right. like soccer bar, but the LSC support there is unreal. Yeah. Unreal. And to, to his credit, Kyle did stick around uh, for the Liverpool Brighton match this weekend after after West Ham's uh, win against Arsenal. Um, but he showed up and he got treatment that a first timer really should not get at AJ Hansen's. No. no, and I I thought he went there specifically to hang out with the Chicago OLSC because right. he posted something about. Or Chicago LSE posted, like, we'll see you at A.J. Hudson's for the match, right? And he showed up. Maybe maybe did to the Chicago Hammers, too. I don't know. Um, but that was my concern, is that he was going to waltz into what's normally a packed bar and get preferential treatment. And with Martino, you know, I kind of blame him because of his hair. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is just a certain level of jealousy. But um, – <laughs> If we're being honest, I'm certainly but, jealous. Yeah, but but yeah, the the preferential, not preferential, because as you said, he you know he showed up for the what seven a.m. West Ham game and yeah, I think six thirty kickoff in Chicago. Yeah, bar is going to be a little bit more sparsely populated. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it do, it fills up. I, I'm surprised because it does fill up like hour two hours early. For yeah. Liverpool matches, typically too. But yeah. yeah, he was front and center. Had a good spot at the bar. Probably bellied up for the LFC match. Um, but no, I actually thought it was kind of cool that he was there hanging out with everybody. So yeah, no, he but uh, that doesn't make me hate him. <laughs> no, he he still makes the the villain list uh, just by nature of <laughs> of his hair. Um, but yeah, good on him showing up that early, especially for for a match at AJ Hudson's and sticking around for Liverpool. Um, it earns him, you know, plus two, but he's still at negative, you know, 10,000 in terms of, uh, in terms of overall gringo karma. Yeah. Mostly like one for every like thick strand of hair that he has. Yeah. (laughs) So the, uh, so we moved to the heroes and I wanted to, I wanted to change things up because we talk a lot about our, our stat guys, you know, like obviously the Babus, the Simon Brundishes, um, Andrew Beasley, who we, who we brought up this time, you know, the base tuned to red tuned to red um but we we haven't talked at all about our our graphic design guys and uh so the two that i wanted to highlight um today were were carlton 81 uh and entire design um both those guys provide just like incredible artwork um for no (laughs) compensation in a lot of cases uh, some of their artwork is for sale, but they do a lot of stuff that is, you know, just free available on Twitter. They make it available, uh, you know, Twitter headers or profile pictures or whatever, whatever you want. Um, and uh, so Carlton's is mainly kind of a cartoony style. I think the the newest one is uh, the front three in like throwback kits. Um, yeah. Which is a really cool kind of design and very uh just kind of fun i mean carlton he's very active on twitter as well in terms of just being a fan like (laughs) he's just a normal liverpool fan with an incredible eye for for this design um and i think we've been we've been retweeting his header his new twitter header (laughs) around (laughs) to everybody who will take a look yeah but 
Well, it, one thing we should we should clarify too is that like Carl does a ton of uh, free work with the apps or not with the apps with like uh, phone backgrounds and yeah. stuff like that. But they also get bombarded with requests. Like if we wanted to reach out and say like, hey Carl, throw us a bone, like send us a like a design specifically for two red gringos. Like that, like we should be willing to pay money just as like right. the, between the post 11, Tegan 11, right? Yeah. So <laughs> these guys owned what I was happy to see Carl recently, like his like little online site blew up with, with requests and stuff like that yeah. too. Um, but the, the other one is a Dan, I can't remember his last name. Well, entire design is a guy named Jimmy. And then there's Dan Layden also yeah. who I meant yeah. to include in here. Yeah. Dan, yeah, and, uh, Jimmy's stuff phenomenal too. But Dan and Dan and Carla was cool to see because we've been following for a while and yeah. like kind of the evolution of their work and how you know they would each kind of play off and be influenced by others' design and and see their work mm-hmm. go from you know imagine somebody just getting started with like Photoshop and how horrific those look to now right. where they're like I want I want I want to buy that you know, and put it up on my wall somewhere too. Right. But it it's a cool it's a really cool side of LSC Twitter. I'm sure other clubs have within their little Twitter sphere right. more of them. Um but I don't know. It's just one of <laughs> like there's not a things that are just kind of like pure and happy on on Twitter accounts. And those are always just like whether they're LFC based. I know Dan does a ton of stuff beyond yeah. like LFC. Um, but Jimmy's work too, like, and they're starting to get featured more now, whether yeah. it's, I don't, I don't know, maybe Jimmy was doing stuff for like Bleacher Report or, or mm-hmm. others, but it's cool to see like goal Bleacher Report, some of those sites that, yeah, you know, like the main, like Sky Sports isn't going to go to Carl and say like, Hey Carl, we need like a header for something. Right. But you know, the, the Bleacher Reports, the goal.coms of the world. Yeah. Right? Like so Copa cool 90, see, like those type of, yeah. Yeah. It's just cool to see them get that recognition because I don't know, it, it, it's just, it's fun to kind of watch it all evolve. Right. Um, but then also go there for like, I need a new header, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need, I changed, I changed my background. I was like, Oh, I need one of Carl's like, one of Carl's like designs for a, for a phone background or something right. too. So no, it, they're, they're doing good work. Yeah. The, uh, the the cool the cool one with entire design is the you know current LFC player in a in a classic LFC kit. Oh yeah, um, that's always that's been been great. The uh, the Allison in the like '90s goalkeeper kits, <laughs> really 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 great, um, really great stuff. Just really uh, kind of a cool concept, and and like you said, it's it's one of those things that's kind of eternally optimistic there's no yeah there's no cynicism when it's a when it's a piece of art you know that's that's the cool side of this is that you know yeah it's not the analysis that we normally kind of champion here but it's it's a different type of kind of optimistic um work that they're doing and uh and it's always cool to see so we'll post all of their uh usernames in the notes on this episode um all their twitter handles so that you guys can find their artwork um and check it out cuz these guys really are like some of the best <laughs> in terms of you know guys who uh just do tons and tons of hard work for not that much compensation um yeah. and they do a lot and of I stuff for free 
I can't remember her name, but there's um, a female tattoo designer that does like the sala, oh, the, the clop sketches, like, like the charcoal pencil, pencil sketches. sketches. Yeah, yeah. That, are, that are phenomenal. Hold too. on, let so me we try gotta to find, find her and give her a <laughs> shout out. Um, I want to say it's in thread as well. Kristen something. Ooh, that sounds right. But yeah, and then we'll find like a couple samples to put out there and, and, and share with share with the people. But in in closing for our heroes, yeah, I didn't want to steal your thunder because I really like that approach to the designers. But I did have somebody that I don't want to say they broke Twitter, but they really had their defining moment as a Twitterer. <laughs> and it's somebody who's been much loved and much criticized on the two red gringos. And that is Manhattan Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And his thread of what being a Liverpool supporter is. Yes, um, Just reeking of just, not sarcasm, like you need another word for what he put (laughs) out there. But it was everything that we've known about Manhattan Doc now. Is he still... Captain Arse Biscuits? Or He's called uh, Colin... Oh, Sir Colin. I am Sir Colin. Colin Cockchops MBE. <laughs> I am Sir Colin. <laughs> so he does He does go off the rails at times. And yeah. it's like, I can't follow him anymore. But his... That series of about 25 tweets, all yeah. like maximum length. Yeah. And I think they each got like 10,000 retweets or something ridiculous yeah. like that. That was his defining moment, and he may just sail off into the sunset. Yeah, this it, it really was incredible, and uh, and we'll we'll post his his username in the notes as well, so you can look up the thread. Uh, it's his pinned. The first one is his pinned tweet, so you'll find the thread very easily. <laughs> I think we may genuinely need just a dramatic reading of this thread. <laughs> Like on, the <laughs> but we. I think you, we need somebody with like a, a thick Scouse accent. Yeah, to really pull this off. Oh, for sure. So if you know anyone or can recommend anyone, uh, <laughs> any native Liverpudlians who can who can read this, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, definitely uh, Manhattan Duck earns a earns a Twitter hero of the week for that for that thread, which was absolutely incredible. Um, and just captured so much of, of what the rival fan bases have been saying, um, which is just, uh, it's been so strange. Um, I don't know if you, if you liken it the same way that I do, but it feels kind of like what happened to cut the Cubs fan base post world series win. If it had happened before we won the world series, (laughs) like that's, (laughs) that's, that's kind of the. Because everybody hates the Cubs now. Yeah. Like, hates Cubs fans, hates the Cubs as an organization. Um, That happened, you know, post-World Series win. This is as if, you know, it's the (laughs) middle of July 2016, and everybody just started hating Cubs fans. Yeah, the parade's happening. (laughs) Everybody's watching it. (laughs) So... I don't understand it. Like, nothing (laughs) makes sense to... Like, if you have... Like three, at least three brain cells. Like none of this should make sense to you. No. How you can vilify a historic beloved club and yet champion a human rights abusing owner of city. 
yeah. as the savior of the season. <laughs> like, not, it, nothing makes sense anymore. No. No, it is, uh, it's just bizarre. And so I, I think, I mean, I think Liverpool fans have enjoyed or are enjoying taking up that villain role. Because <laughs> um, it probably, you know, all, all things considered, it probably was the role that, that Liverpool fans played in the 80s when they were winning every trophy, you know, under the sun and winning the league every year and okay. European Cups and, and all that. Um, so I think no one's upset to actually, you know, take that mantle on of most hated fan base because if, they, if they're hating us, then we're probably do, doing something right um, in terms of the club's winning trophies and, and stuff like that. So hopefully this builds into something real. But it is bizarre with, uh, you know, a club that has become basically self-sustaining in terms of the revenue they're generating. That's what they're spending. We're not taking huge cash injections from the owners or anything like that. It's, it's all kind of self-sufficient uh, by the club. And yet, for some reason, rival fans would rather see City <laughs> win the league. Like, United fans would rather see City win the league. That's the most bizarre thing to me. They lost... The, they lost I could probably see that. Like, C- I could see United hating Liverpool more than City. I can see that, but just the idea that, I mean, if City consistently keep winning the league, United start to become less and less relevant. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's the, the trade-off here. Whereas, I think, you know, Liverpool and United are two, they're not really competing for fans. Like, you're either one or the other. You're not going to, yeah. it's not like you're on the fence between the two, you know. Um and so I think just in terms of relevance within their own city, it, like, why would you root for it? I don't know. Like, it's almost it's almost like, and again, I'll, I'll bring it back to baseball, but it's like the, would you rather see the Cardinals or the White Sox win a World Series as a Cubs fan? See, for me, I would rather see the Sox. <laughs> Because one, we don't like. I don't live in Chicago anymore. Right. But even growing up, we like we were raised Cubs fans, not like the Sox. But you're never like face to face with that city, city back and forth. I almost said banter. <laughs> <laughs> but you're never faced with that, right? Right. So like, if I grew up in Chicago, then I might hate the Sox more. But right. I grew up in Southern Indiana, and right. I was face to face with the Cardinals fans more. So right. I think that's does support your argument of like who should United hate more. <laughs> so maybe they Especially should. right now. It should be Sid, probably. Maybe. But yeah, I don't know. Like if you ask me, would you rather United or Everton win? I don't know. I don't know. It's like I, I might say Everton, but then the second after they won it, I would immediately regret it. Right. <laughs> they don't they don't deserve that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. They've been harmless. So who knows? But so um, so as we as we kind of close things out, we've got Palace uh, next in the league. Um, it's at home. We've already kind of jumped the traditional hurdle in terms of uh, winning away at Selhurst Park, but um, this match at home, Palace have already beat City uh, at the Etihad. 
Um, are you concerned about Hodgson coming away with something at, at Anfield this weekend? Yeah, only because we gave him so much praise <laughs> after he got a result against City. Right. <laughs> it's going to come back to bite us. I uh, Yeah, there's there's so many narratives in the team that it, it really does – it just it it does worry me. Um, the only thing that that gives me a little bit of uh, solace is the fact that we've just we've kind of overcome most of the narratives so far this season. Um, Selhurst Park, I think, was a very big demon to exercise given our last title mm-hmm. challenge. Um, so Palace at home, uh, while potentially tricky, uh, I. I'm quietly confident <laughs> as I say that into a microphone. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I do feel like mo- much more confident than I would would in the past, um, especially given the fact that, that Palace's performance uh, against City was very reliant on um, a couple of, <laughs> well, one absolute screamer, uh, oh yeah, but, ridiculous goals. I mean, they scored. They scored from all three shots on target, and and so I do have confidence that they won't score from every shot on target, um, unless it's just you know one. Maybe uh, maybe they will. I don't know. But yeah. But that's my perhaps I'm you know I don't think I'm tempting fate with that. Uh, I don't. Well, think, it's like we talked about earlier with the defense, right? Like yeah. we've got a more sure line back there to yeah. go up against sides that typically were direct and physical. And, you know, we didn't have that before because three out of our four defenders were shitting themselves whenever, <laughs> when, whenever the, you know, a long aerial ball would come in. So yeah. no, I mean, we, we hate predictions, so I'll go with a, a three, one, three, one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, we definitely hate predictions. I'll go, I'll go two zero. I'll go for your fave, your fave scoreline. I'll go two. That would be sweet. We need, we need some large, we do need some large wins though. Yeah. Like once they get on a roll, you know, they're going to rattle off three, four, five nil victories. So we need, I don't know if we can keep up with that, that goal differential unless city like have another slip up like they have. So. Maybe we'll like, see. but but yeah. we do need some some distance and goal differential. Yeah, maybe like a five one or something like that. Like, yeah, you know, not to get too greedy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean that uh, that about brings us to a close. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode, please uh, consider subscribing. We are on all kinds of subscription sites: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Um, even Kyle Martino's podcast is not on that many platforms. So, uh, as I <laughs> mentioned on Twitter, so our arch nemesis, we've we've one upped him with the Spotify, uh, <laughs> with the Spotify subscription. So go ahead and uh, and subscribe at any of those places. You can also find the uh, all of the episodes on tworedgringos.com uh, and follow us on Twitter at tworedgringos. We're also on Instagram. Got all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, this week, for those in El Paso especially, we launched uh, Seriously Loco, which is a El Paso Locomotive FC um, outlet, basically, like a sub, a sub. Uh, I don't even know what to call it, but it, like an offshoot of the Tour of Gringos. Um, so we'll be 
at the matches covering covering El Paso Locomotive um, in the USL this year. So for anyone interested in American soccer, you can check that out. It's on tworedgringos.com as well. The first article is up, so um, there will be more stuff coming there. I actually just recruited our first our first external writer for for Seriously Ooh. Loco. So who who did you get? Uh, I mean, them? it's not it's not like a big it's not like a no one's gonna know who it is. Like Wait, I didn't I didn't expect you to say like <laughs> Sam McGuire is, is applying his trade yeah. now. In, yeah, he'll in be second division U.S. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be some kind of get. Um, no, but uh, yeah, we've got uh, Diego Sanchez uh, applying his trade, an El Paso native. Um, so his first piece will actually be submitted tonight and uh and be up on the site hopefully tomorrow so we got we got some things cooking we got a lot of uh irons in the fire but obviously all the lfc stuff is still going to be here and none of that is going to be sacrificed uh for the second division u.s stuff um it'll all be going on uh consistently so um the one question that i have left is what are we gonna what are we gonna close out to because I don't have any cool clips to uh, to close out with. Have we we talked about the what I what I at first thought was Fallout Boy, <laughs> but is actually what Panic at the Disco? Yeah, High Hopes. Now I thought you led off an episode with that. But I, I went back and I couldn't find it. Have we used that in an episode yet? I used, uh, I don't think I used High Hopes. I think I used, um, to close out an episode, I think I used, uh, Hey Look My Made It. Uh, yeah. Which is a similar song, but we haven't used High Hopes yet, I don't think. I don't know. Do we want to use it right now? I mean, we have like to have High of, Hopes. That's a lot of, like, smacking. <laughs> happening with that song <laughs> no i mean we have to have high hopes that's <laughs> that's our our plight as liverpool fans is we always have to we always have to have higher hopes than what we can actually achieve yeah so we can play it now but we may play it again yeah it, don't be shocked if it makes a return well i guess uh as this plays us out i mean is this time to say adios? Oh, yeah, we didn't say adios. <laughs> adios. Adios. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
He talk, talks about his mom a lot. Yeah, I didn't never know if it was like his mom specifically or just like mama in general. Right. We were in, <laughs> we were in New Orleans for work. Yeah. And we went to this karaoke bar because a colleague of mine does Ice Ice Baby, but at like a professional level. What? He takes it seriously. Like so, that song specifically? He does a lot of karaoke, but I have seen him perform that song probably a half dozen times. Um, that's his go-to. So like you and Akon. Yeah, like if I had a go-to, it might be... No, I don't know, because the whole Freedom album would, would probably be my go-to. So I would need like a set. Um, but there was this like... Do a tight 30 minutes of karaoke. <laughs> I'm gonna need at least an hour because I can't I can't get rid of any of those a console. But the karaoke bars had like these hype men that would do their own karaoke in between karaoke, and I was super annoyed with it like the whole time because we were already waiting probably like 45 minutes to an hour for him to go on and do his thing, right? And it just doubled the amount of time because he would do a song in between. But then towards one of the last songs before my colleague went on, it was, he did High Hopes. And I was like, this is not your typical, like, karaoke hype song. Right. So then I was okay with it. (laughs) That's pretty legit. I mean, I guess. Yeah, it it salvaged it a little bit. Yeah. For being at a karaoke bar for two hours (laughs) waiting for... Right. Waiting for the colleague to deliver Ice Ice Baby. But he does crush it. I'll give him that. Well, he that's, I mean, that's, that's good at least. Like, the wait was worth it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it before. <laughs> so I'm not, you know. For the rest of the bar, it was worth it. No, yeah, yeah, the rest of the bar. <laughs> yeah, he, he sold, he sold it. <laughs> sold it well.